Welcome to another episode of the Sports Mecca podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Abramo. As always, I'm joined by my partner, Sam Hengeli. For the second time, we have the opportunity to speak with former college basketball coach and current ESPN and Sirius XM radio analyst and broadcaster, Chris Spatola. Chris, Sam and I really appreciate the time once again. It's my pleasure, guys. Always good to chat with you. Yeah, absolutely. To start this second edition of the uh, episode with you, just update us on what your summer has been like. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't you like recently spend time at the 25th anniversary of the of the V Foundations, uh, like a wine celebration gala? I did, yeah. That was this past weekend. Um, yeah, it was an incredible event. Um, it, I had been, I had gone to the wine celebration for a number of years, about a decade ago, and then it it uh, it had been some time since I had been back. So I I I, I wanted to get back out there and and kind of see what uh, what that event had evolved into, and it raises it's it's actually to be honest with you, it if not the biggest fundraiser for the V Foundation, it's one of its bi- biggest fundraisers, and. Um, and it was the 25th anniversary, so I wanted to be there for that. And they asked me to, to kind of kick off uh, and introduce a video uh, on Jimmy V. Um, so it was, yeah, it was cool. It was uh, they raised like 21 million dollars, which is uh, if at their their gala auction uh, on Saturday, which is a remarkable number. So, um, so yeah, been doing that. Did that. Uh, we run our basketball camps. My wife and I run a, a basketball camp here locally together. Um, that we have a, a lot of fun with. So it's, uh, it's and and with my kids, we went on a, a couple week vacation to Europe and um, we're at the beach now. So it's uh, my kids are at an age where I want to be here for these summers. So it's, uh, it's we've had a blast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you think the basketball camps have been since you've been uh, hosting them? You know, it's, I appreciate you asking that. Uh, they're, they're good. You know, I, um, so I ran Coach K's camp for about 10 years. And for every session of that camp, we would get about 700 kids. And so we'd, we'd get, by the end of the summer, we'd get about 2,100 kids because we did three weeks of the camp with 700 kids a week. And, you know, again, that was great. It, it, it becomes a bit of a factory and you lose a little bit of, of intimacy and you, you lose a little bit of, of that um, personal touch when you, when you grow that big. Uh, so we wanted to, you know, my wife and I wanted to to make an impact. We love working with young people and we wanted to make an impact, but we wanted to do it in more of a, a boutique way. Cause we thought we could, we could kind of address, address some of the things we, we see with how youth sports and how, how young people are taught. We thought we could address it more effectively locally and, and then intimately. Uh, and so it's, it's become a really, really nice little thing that we have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, really... Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then, get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Shifting our focus towards your background, you you came on the first time and we had a real deep discussion about the current state of the college basketball season. We did that for the 2022 season. 
Um, we got some content, some questions that relate to you personally, um, just about, you know, how you got here to, to where you are now. So you played college basketball at Army from at, in West Point from 99 to 2002. Now talk to us about the challenges that you had, you know, serving while also playing basketball at a high level. Yeah, it's um you know, it's there's obviously a lot going on at, at West Point. So it's um you know, I think at at least most of the athletes that that I cover at the highest levels of college basketball, you know, I think most of them would would certainly make the case that basketball is their first priority and there's nothing wrong with that, you know. There, there's that's kind of where we are now. At West Point, you didn't really have an option. Like you, your academics had to be a priority. The military component to it had to be a, a priority, and then the sport you played. And so um, that that is going to bring with it inherent challenges to being an athlete. And they're not challenges that can't be can't be dealt with or or can't be managed. But uh, but it's a different it's a different world trying to play a sport at, at a service academy than I think it, it would be anywhere else. And um, it's one that made me better. It's one that um, that I look back on and and appreciate. Uh, but at the time, man, it's uh, it's a different world trying to trying to be a D one athlete at, at a service academy. Right. He wasn't a basketball player, but we had recently a football player named Brad Roberts who was a running back for Air Force, um, and he talked about the challenges and the really uniqueness about being an athlete at that school like he had to have no facial hair he had to have like a certain time that he had a report um and that's just different than most division one athletes but you know you actually had a in your junior and senior seasons you had like very good numbers you averaged like 16 points in your junior year and a senior year and then 18 in your in your junior year i am interested like when you had those numbers, like, did you ever have the thought of, you know, after serving, you know, playing professionally or doing, you know, trying to spend some time at the potential overseas level? Yeah. I mean, I, I certainly had aspirations to do that. It, it kind of quickly went out the window, you know, when nine 11 happened. I mean, my senior year was nine 11. And so my service time, my five years, as you mentioned, um, they were going to be really intensive. And I think I could have certainly played in Europe if I had played after, right after I graduated, but um, that just wasn't in the cards. You know, I had to go do my military service time and it was, it was um, there just wasn't any time uh, to continue to play basketball. And so the idea of playing professionally after my five years, it just wasn't in the cards. And, um, and I was okay with that. You know, I, I, uh, I learned, I learned to, to move on and, and, you know, fortunately got the chance because uh, Coach K hired me, got the chance to stay in the game and be around the game. Um, and I probably had a, a brighter future as either a coach or, or you know, now a broadcaster. I didn't even I wasn't even sniffing broadcasting at the time. But um, I, I certainly had, I think, a better future or a brighter future as a coach or doing what I'm doing now than necessarily trying to be a player. You guys have seen me. I'm not much to look at. Mm-hmm. So, um, so it, it all worked out, man. It just, it just wasn't in the cards, unfortunately. And I had to, uh, I had to hang it up when I, when I did after my last game. So you mentioned you had to work under Mike Krzyzewski as an assistant coach at Duke from 
2007 to 2012. You know, talk to us about how that opportunity really came about in your life. Well, I had had a relationship with Coach um, for a long time. Uh, I had been a camper at his camp, uh, his basketball camp, when I was in high school. My my dad was uh, he was my high school coach, and he was a big fan of Coach K. You know, as most coaches were in the early mid '90s, and um, and so we would drive down from the Northeast every every summer. And my dad would work the camp and my brother and I would would go to the camp. And um, and I was one of the better players at the camp. And so Coach K um, kind of knew who I was. Uh, and then I ended up, you know, having a, a friendship uh, with his with his youngest daughter and, and ultimately married her. So I, 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 you know, I knew Coach K on, uh, on a number of different levels. Um, and when I was thinking about what I was going to do after I got out of the service, I got lucky, you know, he, it wasn't a given that he was going to hire me. He had a, a GA spot that actually opened on his staff and he hired me to be a grad assistant. And then I ultimately, because of staff movement became the director of operations and, um, and I worked for him for five years. It was, uh, it was incredible. I mean, it was just an incredible five years that, um, that I still lean back on a lot when I'm, when I'm doing games now. Mm-hmm. So you actually spent like one year, after your time as a player at Army, you you were an assistant alumni mentor. Like, did that have yeah. like connection to what you eventually did at Duke? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting question. I, I uh, and I kind of glossed over it. So I did when I graduated. They they have a, a a program at West Point where the the captain of a team will stay at West Point and be a grad assistant for their, you know, their sports team. And so I actually did before I went into the active army, uh, I was in the active army. I was still a Lieutenant, but I was, I was able to spend, uh, turned out only being six months. Normally they let you stay about a year, uh, to do the grad assistant spot, but because the, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan had just fired up, they actually, after six months said, okay, we're going to need you to come do military stuff now. But, uh, yeah, I, I, it was cool. I got, um, my coach who coached me at army was actually fired my senior year. And so I, I got to be a grad assistant for a, a gentleman named Jim Cruz, who, uh, who was a really good, good college basketball coach. So I got to kind of see the game in a, in a different way. So yeah, I spent six months as, as a GA at army before I, I went into the active army. Mm-hmm. Before we transition into questions related to the sport of college basketball and, and just college athletics, you know, we got to touch on just the fact that you are Coach K's son-in-law. Were you his son-in-law, like while you were his assistant coach? Yeah, I yeah, I I um I I was his son-in-law when I was uh, when I, I I proposed to my wife when I was in college. Still, um, I I've known my wife since you know she was fourteen years old and I was sixteen years old. I mean, I've known her the majority of my life, like I've known Coach the majority of my life. So. You know, he's like a second father to me and and um in more ways than just being his son-in-law you know i don't i don't necessarily talk about that relationship as much just because i've known him for so long and he's meant so much more to me than just being 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 a father-in-law but um but yeah i i worked for him and and was uh was married to jamie and um and he couldn't have been a better boss uh you know he could not have been a, a better boss and i think he one of the reasons he was a great boss is we kept it professional you know our familial relationship never crept into what what it is we were trying to do 
within his program. And then he, he was the same when I started doing TV. I mean, I had to, you know, there were times where either I was calling a Duke game or, or having to comment on, on Duke. And, you know, most of the time it's glowing because he's a great coach and that's a great program, but there's sometimes you have to be critical of what you see. And, and every time I, I did that, he never, you know, he never said anything to me or had a problem with it. So he, he was able to keep it professional there as well. So he's, he's a tremendous man. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure that was tough, like whether it's like before the season or maybe like a an interview that you have to have Coach K, you have to conduct with him, and then you saw that relationship that like he's your father in law. It's it's real it sounds just like very difficult to really, you know, keep just really keep it professional. Yeah, he you know, I think there's a couple things. First of all, again, I knew him before I knew his daughter. I mean, I, I knew coach K cause I didn't meet, we went down to his camp three years and I met her the final year we went, I knew coach, you know, the first year we went there. So I knew him in that way. He helped me even before I was dating Jamie. Uh, he helped, you know, you know, my process in getting to West point and sort of coaching me in that, in that whole, whole process. And then, you know, look, I, I am a capable person. So it, it wasn't like he was doing any favors. I think I, I, I earned my keep, you know, all along the way, you know, I've never seen him as a father-in-law first. I just haven't, you know, and, and I don't know, I don't think you guys are married, but eventually you will be, and you'll have a father-in-law. And, you know, I think men have varying relationships with their fathers-in-law. So I, you know, it's, it's not something again that I've, put up as number one when it comes to our relationship. It is, I wouldn't trade it for the world. He's been an, a, an amazing father-in-law. He's an amazing father, first and foremost, which is what matters the most to me when it comes to my wife. Um, but beyond that, man, he and I have shared much, much more than son-in-law, father-in-law moments. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So being an athlete, member of the armed forces, and a coach, what does true leadership look like to you? Care for others, responsibility to others, trustworthiness. Soldiers eat first was always an expression that um, that we used in, in the military. And it's, you know, it's always a, um, a watchword for me when it comes to leadership. I, I, it's, it's interesting, guys. I walked into my first unit as, as a young lieutenant, thought I was going to conquer the world. And my battery commander, he pulls me in the office. He says, I want you to know one thing about leadership. The first thing you need to understand about leadership is it is about them. And he was referring to the soldiers. He said, you have to do everything in your power to do what's in their best interest. It is never about you. And, and I think I, I took that uh, from, again, day one in my unit, and I, I tried to put it in, into practice. So um, I think sometimes we see leadership now, not not we, but I think it can be confused with being about the leader. And when you're truly 
leading and when you are truly bought into leadership, it's an understanding that it's about others. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so uh, this fall, I'm actually going to be coaching cross country, my first like assistant coaching job. I want to know uh, what qualities and skills does it take to be a strong assistant coach in any sport at any level? Well, it's a great question. And I think that the first thing you need to understand is that they hired you for a reason. They hired you because they think you're capable, that you have smart things to say, and that they, they, they want your counsel. I think a lot of times assistant coaches can get into this idea of telling the head coach what they think the head coach wants to hear. That's not you're not doing your job if that's how you how you handle it. You need to be direct. Sometimes feedback can be positive. Hey, yeah, I think what we did there was awesome. I think what you did there in that moment was great. Or, hey, have you looked at it this way? Or I think, you know, we could probably use this. You know, that back and forth is important. And and it's, you know, you're doing your job in, in that in that way. And then the other thing is you have to be a, a translator uh, as an assistant coach. You have to translate what the head coach wants in, in a in a palatable way for players. And you have to you have to have a sense of what's getting to the players, what they are internalizing and what they're not. And and I think it's an assistant's job to sort of balance tone and message and, you know, help the head coach, you know, in, again, internalize that message in, in players as best as possible. So it's, um, it's, it's a privilege to be an assistant. It really is uh, because you have a very, very important role. And I, that's awesome to hear, Sam. That's awesome. Yeah. You, you're going to do that. Yeah. I appreciate it. And I appreciate some of the advice there with that question. So I want to talk about uh, one guy you uh, competed against and then a guy that you, uh, you've you gotten to broadcast games and gotten to interview um, who had a complete downfall this offseason and Bob Huggins. What are your thoughts on Bob Huggins and how should college basketball fans remember him? Yeah, um, they should remember him as a Hall of Famer. I'll answer the second part first because he is. He he is absolutely a Hall of Famer. His contributions to the game of, of basketball, first and foremost, will will go down historically. Uh, the impact he had on on really every player who uh, who who he coached was was immeasurable. You know the the loyalty and the the love that his players have for him still is um, I think speaks, you know, it speaks volumes. So um, he's, he was one of the greats in our game. There's no doubt about it. You know, look, I I think when you do something as long as coach Huggins did it, I I think the end is probably not going to be as clean as, as we who aren't feeling what he's feeling and didn't live that life in his shoes, then we would want it to be for him. Mm -hmm. You know, I said the same thing after coach Beheim. You know, it was an awkward way to step down from Syracuse the way mm-hmm. he did it uh, after that ACC tournament game. But, you know, look, I, I, I say the same thing about a Brett Favre went through six different retirements or I say the same thing about um, a Tom Brady who decides he wants to come back. I say I said the same thing about Coach K and his farewell tour. I wasn't a fan of it. But look, you know, Derek Jeter, Coach K, they want to go out with a farewell tour like I am of the belief that the end of a great career is not an easy thing. I, I don't know that, but I, I just can, I can assume that. And so I wish, I wish Coach Huggins had been advised better 
at the end here, I wish somebody had stepped in and said, it's time to go. You know, I wish somebody had stepped in and, and sort of coached him there, but, um, but I'll, I won't fault him. I will, I will certainly, I think that part will be forgotten. And, and ultimately I think the name Bob Huggins will, will go to, down historically for the coach that he was. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we'll miss uh, watching uh, Coach Huggins on the sidelines and then his uh, great, great uh, mentorship to uh, obviously his players and uh, what he did for the game of college basketball was uh, significant and uh, we'll miss him a lot. Yes, we will. There's no doubt about that. So uh, one of the biggest issues plaguing colleges, college athletics, and probably I would say colleges in general has been hazing. We saw a uh, we saw a college basketball team cancel the remainder of their season with New Mexico State due to hazing, and then the recent uh, fallout in Northwestern's football program and then their baseball program got exposed, which caused Patch Fitzgerald to lose his job. What are your thoughts on those uh, situations? Yeah, I think hazing and 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 I speak from a, a position of experience. I mean, I was hazed at, at West Point. Hazing was a, a big part of of that culture. Hazing was a big part of military service you know i mean it hazing was was fundamental to to that organization for for a long long time there's a reason that that organization has done away with it hazing no longer flies at west point anymore and if hazing's not flying in the military hazing shouldn't be flying anywhere um i think hazing is a sign of tremendous insecurity uh i think it is uh it's a misunderstanding of how veterans should impart wisdom on younger people uh, and I think sometimes we as veterans, our insecurities can get a hold of us. And there's this idea that, well, we're going to make whomever younger, younger people have to earn something rather than treating them with the respect and the dignity, dignity that they deserve. Um, so that's how I feel about hazing. I, I don't think it has any place in any organization and certainly not a form of leadership. Um, I also think that the way that North, what Northwestern handled handled it was atrocious and was, uh, again, counter to what it means to be a, a good leader. Uh, they were not out front about it. If they didn't know about it, they're negligent. If they did, obviously, they're negligent. So, you know, two, two strikes there on that one. So, look, I, I think at, at the end of the day, Attitude is a reflection of leadership, to, to borrow the line from Remember the Titans. And if hazing is going on within programs, it is in part a reflection of leadership. And um, it's certainly a reflection of the leadership of those veterans on, the, on in that program, but it's certainly a reflection of Pat Fitzgerald and, and the athletic department uh, there at Northwestern. As a, uh, as a uh, college coach, how would you address a hazing at the start of the year when they get onto campus? How would you like address that issue so you can prevent it from happening? Well, I would I would echo some of the things I just said. I I, I would also there's a zero tolerance for it. See, here's the other thing about hazing. Hazing is more than just one or two people. Hazing is everybody who's complicit. Now, in the case of of Northwestern, folks who were hazed did come forward, but if there are players in that locker room who may not have been actively hazing, but were aware of it or were there while it was going on and didn't say anything, you are now complicit. Acceptance is, you know, as just as you are just as culpable as people who are actually doing it. And so I think, I think expressing that to a team is, is important. 
and then explaining what what leadership actually looks like. I mean, the thing is, guys, young people, and I and I, I use that that term generally. Like I, I again, I still look at college athletes as as in a fundamental stage of their life. They got to understand and be taught what right looks like, and and there are some of them who you know maybe they came up through a program that had hazing. And then are led, we're led to believe that that was the way you impart wisdom and you and you lead. And and sometimes people have to be told that's not how leadership is done. And and so you know again I think showing what right looks like, explaining how how leadership is is best practiced is um, is also very important. So good, so good. I love that. Um, how do how do you promote good team camaraderie without harming others? Well, what do you mean by what do you mean by harming others? I meant like hate without like maybe oh. doing like the hazing and. Well, I mean shared experiences. You know, is, is one of those things. Um, you know, look, I, I, accountability is is fundamental to any organization, mm-hmm. and accountability is not retroactive. Accountability is set from the beginning. The terms are set, and they're set with this thing we call standards. Mm-hmm. And and it is it is a big part of leadership's responsibility to a make those standards known from the beginning, and then ultimately hold members of that organization to the standard. If you don't meet the standard, there will be consequences. Consequences and accountability go hand in hand. Um, and so that's it. Starts with accountability and and how accountability is employed and. You know, and then again, it's, it's, uh, you know, coaching your veterans, you know, the best teams I've been a part of were player run teams, player led teams, where your veteran players uh, or your veteran soldiers are coaching the, the younger folks. And so, you know, explaining that that part of a culture is is important as well. But it starts with accountability, Sam. And, it, and if you don't have accountability within an organization and an adherence to a standard, then, then you're going to be directionless. Right. Never let the little things slide. Never let the small things slide. I want to talk about a lot has happened in college athletics, a uh, conference realignment. Once again, a big conversation and has changed uh, college sports dramat- dramatically. Uh, the Big 12 will gain Colorado, Utah, Arizona, Arizona State. Um, what are your thoughts on conference re- realignment and how does this affect college basketball? Yeah, I'll I'll say I'll say two things on realignment first. You know, when you live in a in a hyper capitalist environment, and that's what college athletics has become. It is hyper capitalist. Growth is the only goal. Getting bigger and bigger and bigger is the only goal. And I don't have a problem with growth until it comes at the expense of values. It comes at the expense of intimacy. It comes at the expense of tradition. And I think what we have failed to understand is that sometimes you can make decisions in the short term that harm you in the long term. And and I think we have become so hyper-capitalist in college athletics that we have lost sight of what the organization, what those traditions, those rivalry, what those things have meant. And look, it's not going to have maybe a discernible effect, but it's death by a thousand paper cuts. And I think that's what we are engaging in right now in college athletics. There is a diminishing impact 
that we are seeing on the product that may not be seen tomorrow, may not be seen two weeks from now, but it will be seen at some point that we have grown so hyper-capitalist and that growth has become the only goal. And then mm-hmm. the second thing I'll say is I think so much of motive, so much of this is motivated by certainly money. I think the other thing that is motivating this is ambition. I, I think we have a lot of athletic directors and presidents of these universities and commissioners who are ambitious people. You don't get to that point in life if you're not. They are concerned with legacy. They are very fearful right now of, for example, going back to when Texas and Oklahoma left the Big 12 in the dead of night. That was announced at SEC Media Day. You guys remember that was announced at SEC Media Day. That was a very, very cold transaction. That was an ice cold transaction that I think sent shockwaves through leadership in college athletics. And then you have USC and UCLA do it on the sneak. I think we have a lot of people, a lot of leadership in college athletics right now that are really running scared because they don't want to be left out in the cold. They don't want to be that program that's now relegated. And so I think a lot of this is ambitious people who are operating in fear and are making rash decisions in the short term that are going to have a a negative impact in the long term. And I think it's, it is certainly driven by growth and money, um, but I also think it's ego. And let's not forget, these commissioners, ADs, and presidents are human beings, and they suffer a lot of the same, the same insecurities that, that we all do, except they got a lot on their shoulders. Uh, and I think they are mishandling it in this moment as they are all trying to reach the mountaintop. Yeah, absolutely. It's just unfortunate, like, it just seems really weird. Like you think about like UCLA and USC are going to have to go all the way to New Jersey to go play a conference game. And then like, obviously same for Washington and Oregon, a bunch of these schools. And then we'll have like Arizona go to play UCF. Just doesn't, it doesn't seem right at all. I miss the old college athletic days. Well, where it's like all regional. Yeah. Well, and I didn't even touch on the hypocrisy of the whole thing. I mean, that, that point has obviously been made. You know, we're, we're, we're complaining about transfer portal and players movement and all of this. And, and this is what the leadership, again, you, you lead by example, coaching and leadership. Th- these are mentorship positions. And what that means is you have to practice what you preach. Again, soldiers eat first. Like you can't hold somebody accountable to a certain standard. And then over here, out of the other side of your mouth, you're, you're, you're doing something else. And so, I mean, to your point, Sam, we didn't even touch on the, on the hypocrisy of, of all of this and, and how, you know, again, the double standard that they are trying to operate under and have operated under for a long, long time, the jig is up. And, and I don't think they, they quite understand that or, or maybe they do and they just don't care anymore. Yeah, Absolutely. So let's move on from the uh, conference realignment talk and then talk about the past college basketball season. Uh, what was your favorite game you got to call last year? Wow. It's a good question. Cause I never really, it's funny you asked that. I never really look back and like say, what was the best game? I mean, I, you know, the year prior, so two years ago, I did the Chris Beard's return to Texas tech. That was an amazing moment because the arena was on fire. I did the, um, I did the first Missouri game, you know, when they resumed that rivalry, the, the, the border war, uh, or I guess we're not calling it that anymore. 
who knows we'll call <laughs> yeah i guess i guess we'll call it that um and th those were cool two years ago um you know, the, the one of the better games I called last year was in Fog Allen. It was West Virginia. I don't know if you guys remember West Virginia uh, taking on Kansas there and uh, came down to the last play. West Virginia had the ball. They didn't even get a shot off um, because of Kansas's defense uh, in the final 30 seconds of that game. That was a that was a lot of fun. You know, being at the Big 12 tournament is always a, a blast. I love doing that at, at the end of the season. So it was a, it was a good year. It was a, it was a, it was yeah. a good year last year. It was it like seeing a Fat Joe and Shaq at the Big 12 tournament? Well, you know what? That's Brett Yormark, man. I mean, he is he is going to brand the Big 12 as a as a hipper, younger, more I think um, attractive uh, conference, and and that was part of it. You know, making uh, the best basketball product, which the Big 12 is and and has been uh, over the last handful of years. You know, making the best basketball league. Uh, the place to be, and and when so when you bring in Fat Joe and you and you bring in, you know Shaq, and uh, you know those guys, it's uh and then Jordan Sparks singing the national anthem like you make it the place to be, and it's gonna draw some eyeballs. So I was it was a it was a great time. It was a party. Yeah, for sure. Um, wonder if we'll see if Deion Sanders will come out to the Big Twelve tournament when uh Colorado gets into the Big Twelve. Maybe he'll make yeah. a trip. Yeah, we'll see. So one of the things I really love you do on social media, you do a lot of motivational posts. You like share, like whether it's at your camp or you just like another podcast. Um, I would love to hear uh, some advice you would give to those uh, chasing a dream. Yeah, man, geez. Not the, I, I don't know if I have the answers to that, but I will tell you that you always want to make sure that you are prepared for an opportunity or preparing for an opportunity as opposed to just looking for an opportunity. Because if you're preparing in the right way, Sam, and you're doing the work, you're not skipping steps, you're, you're, you're going through the process of preparing to do whatever it is you want to do, you're going to ultimately get there. And then once you get there, the goal is to stay there. And I think we, we are living in this space right now where everybody wants to get to the end state super quick. Mm -hmm. And some, you know, maybe sometimes luck inter intervenes and, or, or maybe you have a relationship and, and that gets you in the door and, and all of that's great. But if you're not prepared to stay there or prepared to do a good job while you're there, then you, you're not going to sustain. And so I've lived, you know, I've kind of lived that. Um, I when I first got into into broadcasting, I I was doing, you know, Patriot League games on CBS Sports Network that you know maybe fifty people were watching, but they were valuable to me because I was preparing my voice. I was preparing. I was learning how to prepare to do games. I was learning about television, so that once I did get my opportunity that at ESPN or or get my opportunity to do some bigger games. Um, I was capable and prepared to do a good job. So um, I think we need to, I think we're very focused on, you know, ultimately where we want to be, which there's nothing wrong with that. But you got to understand there's this big thing called process between now and then. And it's a very, very valuable part of ultimately getting to where it is you want to be. And so that would be, that would be one bit of 
bit of advice. And then the other is treat people with kindness, you know, because A, you never know what those people are going to end up being or who they are. Uh, but the other thing is there's there's no greater networking advancement tactic than kindness. Everybody's looking for the way to network and everybody's looking. If you treat everybody you come in contact with, with kindness, um, that's going to be the greatest way to advance. Man, that is awesome. I loved every second of it. And I, I'm, I cannot wait to share this with my uh, team when I get a chance to coach them. I'm going to bring up a lot of those things that you said, not just what you just said there, but throughout the podcast. And uh, Chris, we really appreciate you coming on, man, and really enjoyed this conversation. And uh, thank you for your service once again. And uh, thank you for uh, taking the time to uh, talk with Stephen and I. It's my pleasure, guys. I always enjoy it. Thanks for asking me to come on. For those who are listening to our show for the first time, all our past and future episodes are available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at The Sports Mecca.